Hello, welcome to the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church Shrewsbury. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. in Southern York County, Pennsylvania. You can join our morning live stream on Facebook or YouTube. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury. You can find more information about us at gfcshrewsbury.org. We are so excited to bring you this message today, and it is our hope that you will come to know and believe Jesus Christ more fully through it. You know, apart from Christ, we can do nothing. That declaration has been made by Christ that we are to abide in Him, we are to remain in Him. Because apart from Him, we can do nothing. But as we surrender to Him, as we give opportunity for His life to live in and through us, the impossible becomes possible because with God, nothing is impossible. I've just, I just need to tell you that this prayer, as I've been studying this week, that we're gonna be looking at in John 17, this prayer has for me, for many years, sounded like an impossible prayer. It's like, Mark, how can you say that? Jesus is praying it, yes. And as we look at the words that he's praying, it seems impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And as we embrace what Jesus is praying in John 17, we're grabbing hold of him and saying, God, do the impossible in my life. Do the impossible among us. Do the impossible around this world. And impossible that I'm referring to is the statement that's given three times in this, in this prayer of Jesus. And Jesus prays that they may be one. If you're taking notes, here's the first, second, third point right here. It's one point. That they may be one. That they may be one. And we're gonna look through this prayer and see how God calls us to a unity in the body of Christ that that seems impossible, but with God all things are possible. Significant that God orchestrated the things that he did because I was gonna point to that, that this passage comes up on the same Sunday that we, uh, we were led to honor our brother Alan. And the elders, the, the way that the, the elders function has already been said is in a, in a place of unity. So God aligned that this passage would be spoken of, of this day and this morning. And some of the things have already been referenced, but I wanna just let you know a few things of how we operate as elders. It's not a majority vote, it's unanimous. That if we are not all in peace, we do not move. Now I saw this in practice five years ago after Pastor Jeff had his stroke, there were three elders. It's Pastor Jeff, Alan, and Ben. And because of Pastor Jeff's absence for a season, I was called in to work with the elders and, and to help provide oversight uh, for a season. And as I met with them, I saw a unity among three brethren that was astounding. And I'm not saying that to puff them up, I'm celebrating Jesus in them. And the way that they were moving as one. That again, whatever was decided, it was decided unanimously and if there was one that had a check and didn't have peace, there was a pause. And there was an honoring and whether that that check was maybe something just in the flesh that they need to work out or was the Holy Spirit saying, wait, hold on, it was honored. And together as they sought the Lord and as they listened together, it was as, as peace came that the, that the next step was taken. And then when the elders were expanded, they went from being three to, to then seven. One of the questions I had as we're going through that process, are you gonna stay unanimous? We're not talking three now. I saw the beauty of the three and honestly, I, I, was, I was almost 
concerned to touch. You don't, you know, don't fix what not, what's not broken, you know? But I, I asked that question when, when the team expands, however many that would be, and, and God led it to be seven, will it still be unanimous? And they said, absolutely. And we have seen God do the miraculous in this group. How can seven people agree on anything? <laughs> and yet we move only when we are in agreement in the Lord. And it's not one person saying something and the others are, are yes. It's listening together to hear what Jesus is saying, discerning together, and then moving together. And we listen, as has said, we're not congregationally led, we're elder-led according to the, the, the pattern, the model of Scripture, but we listen to the Spirit of God speaking through the congregation. We listen and we desire to hear His Word and to follow His Word. And when we follow His Word, we find His will. We see his desires fulfilled and we see things happen that goes beyond what we can comprehend. Now here's the thing, when we talk about unity, doesn't unity just sound like our world today? Yeah, that was very meant to be sarcastic. Our world abounds in division. And why? Because Satan, the prince of the power of the air is all about division. The tool that he used in the garden was to drive a wedge of division between God's highest creation, man and woman, and, and, and God himself. And the enemy put that wedge in. He said, I'm gonna cause a divide here. Division is what's gonna, gonna bring this down. And as a result, we became a fallen world. And then there was brokenness all around. The unity that God had designed had been infiltrated. God remains God. And God is one. Jesus had even spoken to this when he talked about a, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand, a house divided against itself cannot stand. He's saying there has to be unity or there can't be life. And we are a nation who once claimed to be one nation under God and we are a divided nation. We are a divided world. And that division goes into every part of our lives where we see it within divisions within families. And then we become divided even within ourselves. But there's a solution. There's an answer. That answer is God because God is one. In Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. God is three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, yet existing in unity and oneness. By his nature, by his character, he is unity, he is one. And he is calling us to be like him, that we would, be, would bear his image and we would live in unity as his children. So God, right now, I just thank you so much for what you've done already. God, I thank you, Lord, for how you've even drawn us together as a body this morning and, and, and led us to be praying for one another and to be standing with one another, to be interceding with one another, one another, to be worshiping together, to be honoring together. And God, right now, just lead us, Lord, in the oneness that you desire. May your kingdom come as we've sung. May your kingdom come and your will be done right now in this time. God, that your prayer would be fulfilled in greater ways even this morning, Father, in continuation of the fulfillment of your prayer that they may be one. May it be, Lord, this morning, take us and move us further. Lord, not just in this truth of understanding, but in this truth of living. Have your way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'm gonna try to do a real quick run-through where, where we're at. 
last four chapters, we've been sitting with Jesus and the disciples. And it's that, that night, the night that Jesus was about to be betrayed. And we've looked at chapter 13 where Jesus washed feet. We looked at how he served them. We looked at how he ministered to them. And he said, you know, that, that, that abide in me. And he said that I am the only way to the Father. He presented himself. He said the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to come. And I'm going to give you a helper. And he talked about all that he's going to do. And last week, Pastor Ben led us in, in chapter 16 where he talked about the work of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is gonna come. The promise is that I'm sending the Holy Spirit. When he comes, he's gonna bear witness to Jesus. He's gonna reveal truth. He's gonna speak of things to come. He's gonna convict the world in, in regards to sin and to righteousness and to judgment. All these things Jesus is saying on this last evening with his disciples. And it brings us to chapter 17 where we're going to be looking at this prayer that Jesus prays before the disciples. And leading into this, I wanna just look at the last verse of 16 because it, it sets up so well what Jesus is about to do. He said, to, said this to the disciples, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Now he's preparing them for some things that they're gonna go through that even though he explained, they can't imagine what's about to happen in moments in their lives and what they're gonna see happen to Jesus. But he said this, that I, that I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Can anybody say amen? Yeah, it's not that we enjoy it, it's just truth. And this is a verse that I've come back to over and over again because so many times we can think we come to Jesus and everything's good. No problems, no pain, no trials, but it, that goes against what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, in this world, you will have tribulation. That's a promise. It's a guarantee. This is a broken, fallen world, and we're in the middle of it. In this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome. And Jesus is declaring that, that in him, we have victory. He's declaring that in him, we will have the, the way to, to victory that can only happen through him. He is the only way. So take heart this morning. You've been encouraged already in that. But take heart. Our victory stands because Jesus is victorious. So we're gonna move into this prayer now, which is a conversation of Jesus talking to his father. And it's this precious holy moment. We're gonna go, go through chapter 17. And what I want you to understand is that what Jesus is saying, what he is praying is in the perfect will of God for he says what he hears from the Father. You know, when Jesus said about praying in my name, he's saying that we are to pray according to the nature and the character of Jesus. And as we ask and pray in his name, that it will happen. Well, when we look at this prayer, we're seeing that Jesus is praying a perfect prayer in the will of God and what he says will happen. And his prayer is gonna span through time. It's gonna be specifically to those disciples in that moment. It's gonna to speak to their ministry. It's gonna to speak to the ministry of the church. And according to time, he's actually gonna be praying toward the, his, his glory that existed even before the world was formed and his glory that will exist for all of eternity in heaven. This is the prayer that Jesus prays. So we're gonna look, look at it in sections and go through um, just a, a group of verses at a time. So the first section, the first five verses, says when Jesus had spoken these words, the words that we have just read, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. 
since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence, that the glory that I had with you before, with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. In these first two verses of this section, we see what we call here at Grace the core family values, and many of these have already been referenced. Partners for Transformation, a local group of pastors, we call these the pillars. Last year in October, we spoke about these as the pillars for corporate prayer as we looked at 2 Chronicles 7.14. But this is the, the foundation on which we stand, and we see it right in these first two verses of this passage. We're founded in humility, and humility is that it's not about me. It's not about me. It's about God. It's about others. It's submitting myself first to God and then to others. Humility is the foundation. When we're humble, then we are led into the presence of God to live presence-based lives. I'm not gonna go before God if I'm proud. In fact, I can't because God opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. As I'm humble, I'm depending on his presence. I'm walking in his presence. I'm trusting that God will be moving. So I'm turning to him constantly and submitting to his will and saying, God, do what you desire to do. So we have the foundation of humility, which is the thread that's gonna go through all of these, the base on which all is built. Then presence, we're going into God's presence. And out of these comes a unity. It comes a connection. It comes a oneness, the the very oneness that Jesus is, is gonna be praying for in just a few moments. And then with unity comes authority. It's not our authority, authority, it's his authority, his power moving through us, his love, his joy, his peace. These are the core family values that we embrace here at Grace. And if you look now at, the, again, these first two verses that we looked at in, in John chapter 17, you can see that when Jesus had spoken these words, the fact that Jesus is on earth speaking the words embodies humility. That Jesus, the Son of God, left heaven and came to live on earth lived among us for 33 years. He embodies humility. God is a humble God. So it says again, as Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, this presence-based, he was constantly living in presence with the Father, in communication with the Father. This is what the example that Jesus sets for us. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Look at the unity. Look at the unity. He's saying, bring revelation of yourself through me. Allow who I am to be seen. Manifest, Lord, your goodness, its presence, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. It's all right there. And that authority to give eternal life is something that we've been looking at Multiple times we've been referencing this passage, 17.3, embrace this, hold on to it, memorize it, and allow this to sink deep into you. This is the definition of eternal life. Right here, Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life. It's not just about eternity. Eternity is living forever, and everyone has an eternal existence. That existence will either be in the presence of Almighty God or in a place of eternal damnation. 
We are all eternal beings, but Jesus is saying eternal life is the very life and the essence of, of, of life in God within us here and now and then throughout, throughout eternity. This is eternal life that they would know you, God, and that they would know me. And this is the invitation that Jesus gives to all. Jesus declared that his work was finished. His declaration from the cross literally in less, less than, than, than 24 hours would be it is finished. But he says, I've accomplished what you've sent me to do. I've done the things that, that you've sent me here to do. I've, I've borne witness to you. I've spoken your words. I've done your works. And he was even saying that the cross, the cross was the glory that he was leading to, that his hour had come. He's saying, this is, this is done. I am set. I've accomplished what you've sent me to do. And then he says, now glorify me in your presence. That glory with the glory that I had even before the world existed. Jesus' prayer to the Father. Then we move into this next section, verses six through eight. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. They have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given to me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. This part of the prayer is moving into a section where he's talking specifically to the disciples that are there. He's speaking to those who have, have walked with him. They've heard these words that we're reading. They heard these words spoken from his lips. They saw what we read about. They saw it happen before their very eyes. And Jesus is praying specifically for these disciples, but the truth of what he's praying has application for disciples, followers of Christ of all time. But he gave affirmation. He said he received them. He said that they were actually being given to him as a gift from the Father, and he affirms their belief that they in fact know that they know that they know that he is the Son of God, that he was sent from God. And then Jesus moves further in his prayer in verse nine and says, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified in them and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. God is speaking to his disciples and he's contrasting them with the world. He's saying, I'm not praying for the world. The world are those that are not yet followers of me. They're living under a different system, under a different rule. I'm praying specifically for those, those that are following me. But he was praying for them because he was gonna be sending them into the world. Jesus wasn't ignoring the world. He was lifting up those that he had called who had obeyed and were following him. And he was praying as they were about to be sent. But this prayer, that they may be one even as we are one. This is where I've struggled. I've loved this chapter for so many years and I've loved how it speaks of unity. And yet I look at this phrase and I'm overwhelmed because he's saying, God, would you help your church to be one 
to this extent, even as you and I, father and son, are one. How can it be? This is God's prayer for us. That we would be one even as Father, Heavenly Father, the Son of God are one. Jesus is praying in the perfect will of God as he prays this prayer. Perfect unity. Illustration of oneness. Closest union of relationship that God has designed is between a husband and wife by design, that the two would be one. And often when I've met with couples, I've used this, this relationship triangle with God at, the, at the, the top of the triangle and husband and wife on each side. And I've shown this illustration that, that as each one moves closer toward God, they're then closer to one another. And this is a progression that as, as they continue to move closer to God, they're closer to one another. And this is a truth that not just applies in a marriage, it applies in marriage because as you have two people that are seeking the face of God and are surrendering to him and living in humility and seeking his presence, unity is gonna come out of it, that there's gonna be a closeness. It doesn't mean that there aren't troubles. It doesn't mean that there's perfection. But there is a, a growing oneness that comes as each is living closer and closer to God. Now, you may look at it and say, okay, well, yeah, but that's like kind of the perfect situation, isn't it? That both are growing and both are getting closer to God. You know, what happens if one doesn't? Well, sometimes that can cause a greater division, right? If one is pursuing God and one is not, it could be that, 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 that there's actually a distance because there's a difference in priority in life. The reality is, as all of us continue to press on with God, we're creating a situation even where the believing can sanctify the unbelieving, where the one who is pressing on with God can have an impact and does have an impact on one that may even be away from God. But as we all within the body, again, we're using this illustration with husband and wife, but as we all within the body of Christ continue to press in with God, then the unity, we become closer together. And as I've said, like with the, with the elders, it's not that we're striving for unity, we're striving for God. We're striving to have the mind of God. We're striving to get closer to him. And as we do, it draws us closer to one another. And as we do that within the body of Christ, as we're pursuing God and we're saying, God, it's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about you. I want to grow closer and closer to you. That's going to pull us closer and closer together. And this is the Jesus' prayer for this oneness. So it's showing, again, what we talked about is that as we humble ourselves before God, as we seek the presence of God, unity will come as a byproduct, and unity is what Jesus is praying for here. Verse 12, the prayer continues. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture may be fulfilled. He was pointing to to Judas and Judas' betrayal. Jesus knew even when he chose him that he was going to betray him, and though Judas gave the appearance of being a follower of Christ, in fact, his heart was toward other things. But Jesus says again that he had guarded them. Verse 13, but now I'm coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. 
So in this prayer for the disciples, we see Jesus keeping power. We see his promise that, that his joy is meant for the disciples. But he's also saying that they're gonna be hated just as I am hated. Moving on to verse 15. Jesus' prayer continues. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. So as we look at this prayer for the disciples, he's praying protection for the evil one. Remember when he taught the disciples how to pray? Part of that prayer is lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Some translations actually say deliver me from the evil one. Jesus is praying protection over those who are following him. He's calling them to be set apart. To be consecrated, to be sanctified means that we're set apart from the world for a specific purpose. And it's that we would take on the character, the nature, the image of Christ that the world can be reached with the gospel. Now what's gonna happen is we're gonna transition to a prayer, the part of the prayer that includes us. It literally speaks specifically to the church today. Now what I need to clarify is that when I'm talking about the church, I'm not talking about an organization. I'm not talking about a, a, a congregation. I'm talking about capital C church. He's speaking to the capital C church. It's all those who will come to him through faith, who have accepted Jesus Christ as a personal Lord and Savior, those who have acknowledged their sin and have declared that, that they know that they know that they know, they believe in their heart that Jesus is the only payment for the sin and Jesus is the only way to come before the Father. Jesus is the only way that we can live eternally with the Father. Those who have accepted the work of Christ and believe in their heart and are following after him, those are the ones that Jesus is praying for. And although it's a wonderful thing for you to come to Grace Fellowship Church Shrewsbury and for others to join us online, that does not make us part of the church. I don't like saying that. I'm not passing judgment. I'm extending invitation. Don't allow being part of an organization or a congregation or a group to give you a false security that you're his. There's only one way to be his. It's to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. To declare that Jesus is Lord and to walk in his way. Back in chapter 10, I made that statement that there is nothing more important in life than being a sheep. To be a follower of Jesus, to hear his voice, and to follow after him. For those who have, Jesus is praying for you in this prayer. For those that are part of that big C church, this prayer is specifically for you. And for those who have not yet stepped into that relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is calling you this morning. Join the flock. Be part of the family. God has created you for this. This is eternal life that you would know him. That you would know him. You can know him and he has made that way. So listen to what Jesus is praying for his church. 
So he's referring back to what he just prayed for the disciples, and he's saying this, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that's us, that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you gave me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me. Listen to the unity that Jesus is praying for his church. This is extraordinary. This is impossible apart from Christ. And he's saying, Father, make it happen. Make it happen. In verse 21, His prayer is this, that they all may be one. Just as as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. That they all may be one. Okay, I thought this was a stretch when I was thinking about this. Oh, he's talking about all of us, right? Like the church, like all the church in this region, all the church in the United States, all of those who are believers in Christ around the world, that they all may be one. Yes, that's part of it. You realize he's saying that they all may be one is the church, all of the church that has existed from the birth of the church to the churches in heaven. Jesus' prayer is that they all may be one. To what extent? Just as we are one. I and you and you and me. Jesus' prayer is for a unity that can only happen through him. And in the New Testament, we're given different, different uh, representations of the church. There's, given, there's different definitions and, or, or examples that are given. The church is referred to as family. Family is many parts that are one. Different members that belong together. He talks about the bride as the church. It's not brides. There is one bride, a unified church for the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. He talks about flock, a bunch of different sheep. Remember some of the sheep things that we looked at before? Bunch of different sheep, there's one flock, right? He talks about body. What is the body? The body is composed of many parts, each having a unique function, purpose, design, working together as one. And he talks about temple. You are living stones being built together to be a dwelling place, habitation of our Lord. Everything that Jesus talks about in regards to the church is the, is the all together being one. The separate parts living in unity even as father and son are in unity. And this oneness that Jesus prays for is about ready to be experienced and demonstrated in the church in Acts. Do you remember the day of Pentecost? They were all in one accord. They were all in one place. They were all with one mindset. And the Holy Spirit is poured out and the church is birthed. And then they start living in a whole new way. Do you remember like when Jesus was crucified, the disciples were scattered, they all went their own way, and, and there was this, this time of confusion, and, but then Jesus is calling them back together for 40 days, and he's explaining to them what's happened. And then he goes, he goes up to heaven, he says, wait. And he says, wait together. 
And as they waited together, the Holy Spirit was poured out. And then they start living in a new way. It's, it's all about God. It's the focus, the priority. It's about Jesus Christ and what he has done. It's about living out this faith that was meant to transform us and the world. And in Acts chapter four, it says this, that the, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. Think about that. The declaration is that that church in Acts the church in Jerusalem, it's recorded in Acts, were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. That's revival. That's where, you know, where Jesus is priority and everything else is way secondary. It says, with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the, the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. We're now gonna receive an offering. sell your house, your possessions, bring them, and we're gonna make sure that everybody's taken care of. There is a unity that was in that early church beyond what anything, I've ever, anything that I've ever seen or experienced. It's not socialism. It's not give it all to the government, let the government distribute. It's the kingdom of God manifesting through the people of God. Nobody did it out of compulsion. In fact, when they tried to do it and sneak around it, look at Ananias and Sapphira, that doesn't work so well, beginning of chapter five. It's not about an outward thing. It's that they were all one heart and one soul. And together they were moving in a way that God was calling them to move in that time. Well, we allow God to do that, that in our lives. I'm not, I'm not saying that the offering is yes, bring what you own, sell it, and we'll distribute. I don't know what it looks like today, except I know that God is calling us to more. I know that God is calling us to more. He is desiring that we would lay aside our individual goals, our dreams, and yes, possibly even our possessions so that the kingdom of God can move forward. And there's so much security that we base in what we own and what we possess, what we can hold on to. Reality is that it's not ours. It's temporary, it's fleeting. I'm not saying this in, in a killjoy kind of way. This is a reality that we need to live in. And I know some are right now struggling because like what are the possibilities of what I may lose and what where I've, I've been able to count for my security to come from. The reality is that we live in securities that are very insecure when they're based on the world system. This is not a downer, this is a message of hope because in Christ, in Christ is our provision. In Christ and trusting him in the body of Christ to work together is our hope. It's the eternal that we are called to embrace, not this temporal. 
And yes, living a life of, of faith can be concerning at times because I'm trusting, I'm placing my confidence in what I don't see. But do you realize that what I can see with these eyes is passing? It's, de- it's, de- it's deceiving, it's temporal. And God is calling us to more. He's saying, I want you to be one. I want you to be one. Even as the Father and Son are one, may you be one. There are more examples that that I have here. I want to just point to some things, places where we can taste this. Where maybe you've experienced a unity in the body of Christ that is a taste of what God wants to give us a full meal of. This morning, feeling worship was a taste. As Leah felt led by the Holy Spirit, to change from what was planned. Now, if you look at the service schedule, that prayer time was not planned. If you looked at what God had on the service schedule, it was planned. Okay? It's caring for the body. It's caring for one another. It's listening to the Holy Spirit leading and responding. It's a taste, beautiful taste. Have you ever met somebody that you've never met before, but you just somehow sense or find out that they're a believer and like you're like this immediately that's a taste have you ever been in a time of prayer and I just love when this happens because a lot of times when I'm in a, in a group of, in prayer like I'm sitting and I'm listening to the Lord and it's like God's putting some things on my heart and am I supposed to pray it or not and somebody else prays and they're praying what's in my mind that's a taste It's the body of Christ, the parts functioning together because as we focus on him, he's gonna lead us together. He's gonna lead us in oneness. He's gonna give us a unity that can only come through him. But what are some of the obstacles to this unity? What stands between where where we are right now and where God is praying that we would be? As I've asked myself that question, it's me. I've experienced this unity in amazing ways. Throughout a week, I can point to time and time again, interaction where I see this unity. But the greater unity It's still in the parts of me that I'm hanging on to. We look at the treasure principle and it says that that where we place, our heart goes where we place God's money, that the money is not ours. But you know what? As much as I've given to God, I still have too much ownership of me. God is calling us to literally lay down our lives for him. He's done it for us. At the beginning of the prayer, he says that his hour has come. His hour is the cross. And it's in light of what he is about to do on the cross that he says, let them be one. 
And He calls us to the same. Our hour is now. That we would take up our cross, that we would deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Him. And the more that I can set aside my perspective that my, my life, my time, my talent, my treasures are mine, the more that I can set all that aside and recognize, no, God, you have bought me with a price. I am yours. Do with me as you please. That's when I can contribute. That's when I am moving closer. That's when I am allowing him to be all in all so that his body can be more one in accordance with Jesus' prayer. Now there's another part of it is that when we look back, we need to realize that God's seeing in such a different way than what we are. Do you realize for those, for you who are in Christ, you are completely forgiven. Like when God looks at you, think about this. When God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Christ. As far as the east is from the west, so your transgressions are removed from you. This is how God sees you. This is the reality. And yet you and I, I believe together, we struggle in seeing ourselves the way God sees us. But the more that we can see ourselves the way God sees us, the more we're living and walking in the light and things are changed. I'm changed, I live different, I shine differently. So God sees us as perfect. We see ourselves as flawed, and we are. We're not denying our wrong, we're not denying our imperfections, but we need to see ourselves through God's eyes. You're completely forgiven. You're whole in Christ. In the same way, Jesus' prayer, when he looks at the church, he sees one. He sees one body. He knows that we are one, and we are gonna be one for all of eternity. And the more that I can see through God's eyes, the more that this will come to reality in my life and in your life. We can divide over so many things. But I want to let you know that when we get to heaven, it's going to be pure. There will be one church without division, without, without doctrinal discussions, without competitiveness. There will be one church. May it be here on earth as it is in heaven. May it be here. Grace, I just, I need to tell you, like, this body of believers is so incredible. I see so much unity. I see so much love. As Pastor Jeff has said many times, he's just getting started in us. There's so much more that God is in the process of doing. And what he has prayed will be fulfilled. Let it be in us. Let us move forward today. Let us give of ourselves that he can have his way. Final few verses. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name. I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus' prayer. I have made known to them 
your name and I will continue to make it known. Jesus is continuing by the Spirit to make his name known, his character, his nature, his person, his will. Why? That the love with, it, with which you have loved me may be in them and I, Jesus, in them. I said at the beginning, this prayer has been a challenge for me because it seems impossible that we would be one even as Jesus and the Father are one. And I wanna let you know, with God, all things are possible. And in God, through Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he is forming us to be one. Let's move in agreement with him. Let's move in agreement with him I'm gonna just ask us to just take a moment and, and this is what I would invite us to just be a time of humility before God and of surrender. God, just in these next few moments, God, I, I know that we're busy and we need more moments, but God, right now, just ask in these next few moments, that you will lead each one of us closer to yourself. You would help us to humble ourselves, to get ourselves out of the way so that you can have your way in each one of us. And God, whatever we need to surrender, whatever you're calling us to surrender, God, I ask that you would give us a gift of faith to trust you and to just give to you because you're worthy. God, you've given your all for us. And just speak to us, we pray. God, we thank you that you love us with a love that goes beyond our comprehension. God, I thank you that you shine light, Lord, in our lives. You show us the places where we need to grow. And God, we thank you that as you show us um, that your word clearly says that you're not bringing condemnation. Condemnation is not of you. You do not throw shame and blame on us. You show us places where we need to grow so that we will trust you. So that we will, we will invite you to come alongside of us and do in us what is impossible for us to do on our own. So God, I thank you for each brother and sister that is here and who is joining us. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would help us all to set aside anything 
Lord, that would be a distraction from us drawing closer to you. Help us, Lord, to press into you that more and more in our lives we would see the fulfillment of your prayers. We are drawing closer to you that we will be more and more one as your body. That the world may see you in us. That the world may come to know you. That the world would be drawn to the beauty of your love in and among us. Thank you, God. God, that in you all things are possible. Have your way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. That they may be one, even as we are one. Allow this to rest in your heart and through this week. I would just invite you to be continuing to meditate on Jesus' prayer that we've looked at in John chapter 17. Allow the words, listen to him praying for us. Listen to his heart's desire for us. And then throughout the day, just allow the Holy Spirit to be speaking things to you and bringing you to places of, of fuller surrender. This is, this is what I, the key that I saw in my own life is that God's calling me to surrender ownership of all that I am so that he can move fully in the way that he desires in my life. Celebrate how he has moved in your life and seek him more that he would continue to, to bring to completion the work that has begun. And we're gonna be continuing next week in John chapter 17, but I wanna encourage you to read 17 and also be looking ahead to 18. Um, it's been so wonderful to be together in the Lord's presence. And if you would like prayer, I know there's been opportunity already, but if you would like prayer for any, anything, we, we have prayer partners that are gonna be at the front and uh, we invite you to come up and pray. And, uh, and we just wanna let you know that God loves you with a love beyond your comprehension. Walk in his love and allow the fullness of his life to continue to grow and flow through you. God bless you, Grace. We hope you enjoyed this message. You can find more like it on our website under sermons. To keep up to date with our sermon series, hit the subscribe button in your podcast host and follow our social media pages. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury on the platform of your choice. If you're looking to connect with us further, then you can email us at connect at gfcshrewsbury.org. We will be back next week with another message. We hope to see you again soon.